don't want to fuck them up. Guys, I'm going to start talking about, we got we to gotta change topics and get into the story that we were going to do today. Because if we don't, I'm, it's just going to be me talking shit about FLDS for the next 50 fucking minutes. Bro, I could rip them a new ass. I would gladly decapitate all of the fucking prophets, put their head on a stick, and face fuck it for the eternity of me being alive. Bro, I do not give a fuck. <laughs> Yes, my mama eat you like Jeff Dahmer. Say she on a period, let's make a mess, mama. I desensitize myself to it. I, 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 uh... I don't know, I went to great lengths. Never did I. Knew it would be this easy. Had a month that shit greasy. Yeah, be the nigga shit cheesy. People said they get my corner when I turn around. Oh, it's just measy. Everybody wanna get away from me because I got heebie-jeebies messed up like Michael. That game on the Halloween. What would you do with these sexual parts? I wouldn't enjoy it or anything. How long ago did this start, son? Let that stay right before you. But naked in your neighbor's pool, I stay stunned while I'm face fucking at the capitated skull. You ever seen that before? No. Freak nasty gore, I need asking laws. So you was freak show. Ron, what are you doing? Try anything and you cancel, bro. I'm fixated on asphyxiating and breaking this little chick's neck like a pixie stick. The sick Satan worshiping bitches get horse whippings. I'm in the back, through the back door, slipping through the crack, leaving the corpse, dripping the mortician of love. Sent from above, forced and treat her more. When she the more stingy, I become. Been doing this for more than a quarter century. I'm just numbing my dreaming. Is it real? Someone pinch me on the buns. Do you feel blame? Are you mad? Uh, do you feel like wolves and kebabs right from Ennis? Get Ennis, boots, 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 Welcome back to the Rainy Day Horror Show. I'm Big Daddy D, and you're listening to the number one podcast on the internet. And on today's episode, Dusty is going to be sharing the story of the Sauter family disappearance. Did the five kids really perish in that fire? Or did the mob really kidnap them? I don't know. I don't know, but hopefully you will know at the end of this episode. So, without further ado, I'm going to welcome Dusty McBalls to the stage. The certified cougar hunter and your host with the most. Now sit down, shut up, and enjoy this episode. Thank you, Big D, for that beautiful intro. Before we even get into this episode, I have some shit to tell you guys. Some 
next level just fucked up shit, right? So I'm, you know, scrolling on YouTube, looking for a good, like, short little episode to watch, right? It turned out not to be short. It was, like, 30 minutes long. But I stumble across, like, police officers saving kidnapped kids and kids that are put in really awful situations with adults that shouldn't be doing specific things to children, okay? Other words, sexual assault, pedophilia, that kind of shit, right? So, I make it through halfway through the video, right? And there is this, (laughs) at one point, right? This takes place in Flagstaff, Arizona. These cops, these just beautiful, magnificent heroes of the day, they pull over a GMC Denali with like a cattle trailer on the back of it, right? Not a big one, small one, but still, it's a trailer. And the reason they pulled this truck over was because they saw a child's hand hang like hanging out and they noticed it like what well, that's not fucking safe obviously and so they pulled it over right they knock on the knock they walk up to the door knock on the window guys guy rolls down his window and starts talking to the officer well this criminal this suspect turns out to be Samuel Bateman Okay, if you don't know who Samuel Bateman is, I'm going to get into it in like two seconds, right? So, he, the cops run his information and they find some weird shit, okay? Nothing to, just, just hold on, alright? So, the cop walks back up to the car, orders the women, this dude had women all in his car, right? This is a truck, it's got six seats, three in the front, three in the back, because the center council can lift up. We know this. And these women hop out. And within a split second, just by looking at their attire, they were wearing these pastel long prairie dresses. And they had their hair all done up nice and looking cute like it was done in the 60s, right? Within a split second, of seeing their dress and their hair, instantly knew it was FLDS. Well, come to find out, the guy that they arrested, Samuel Bateman, was the new self-proclaimed prophet of FLDS. Right? I know. Oh, shit. Right? That's the same thing I fucking saw. The same thing I fucking did when I... When the dude said that he was from FLDS, I lost my fucking shit, right? So, they take Sir Samuel Bateman into the police cruiser, drive him down to the station. He is arrested for child endangerment, right? Because most of these women, except for like three of them, were under 18. So, he takes him down to the station. And at one point, while he was arrested and being processed and booked in county jail and everything like that, he made a phone call. And while he was on said phone call, he decided to make some very predatory remarks to one of his 
15 wives that was 13 years old. It, it gets even worse. Trust me, it gets even worse. The police decided to go to his house to conduct a search warrant. And when they searched his fucking home, you know what they found? They found signs of incest and child trafficking. I fucking hate this cult. This cult can lick my nuts each way. Holy fucking shit. I lost my shit, bro. I swear to God, if I ever, bro, if you get me in a room full of people that are part of the FLDS cult, it is going to be Waco, Texas all over again, bro. I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, but I do not give a shit. I fucking hate this cult. It, I, I will gladly bend it over and give it just the most pound for pound erection that I have ever had. And I will fuck this cult up, right? I will not jerk off for like six months, right? If I knew that this was going to happen, I would not jerk off for six months and I would bend over this cult and I will fuck it every way it wants to be fucked, okay? I hate this cult. For the viewers that have been here since day one, you know I fucking hate this cult. Bro, I want to... Oh, this cult gets me heated. This cult gets me heated. You will end up, probably, me and Gabby will be doing an episode on this within a week. Probably next Wednesday. Because, holy fucking shit, I... Oh, it gets... Oh! Oh, it pisses me off. Oh, I just want to fucking strangle it. I want to fucking strangle it. So fucking bad. But yeah, that's 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 the little story that I had before we get into this episode. Got it. Oh. Oh, I want to fuck him up. Guys, I'm going to start talking about we got to we got to change topics and get into the story that we were going to do today because if we don't, I'm it's just going to be me talking shit about FLDS for the next 50 fucking minutes. Bro, I could rip them a new ass. I would gladly decapitate all of the fucking prophets, put their head on a stick, and face fuck it for the eternity of me being alive. Bro, I do not give a fuck. I, okay, we, I gotta stop because I'm, let's, 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 let's move on. Let's move on. On today's episode, like Big D said in the intro, we are doing the Sodder family disappearance. This is a weird story. It's different. It's it's a shady Italian town with a bunch of just what the fucks, right? It is weird, but I don't know, okay? I don't know. We're going to get into this. I'm split down the middle on this one. I think that they died I'm I think that they died in a fire, but you know, it's just my thought process, okay? It's a beautiful Wednesday. I know you're at work. No Crocs. Just relax, okay? I know. I know. No Crocs today. Whoa. Crazy. Dusty's going on a little fucking weird loop after he saw this FLDS video. Back to that, by the way. Sorry. We're going back to it. I know what happened in 2022, but I don't give a fuck, okay? This, this, this shit... Bro, 
I wish the government would do something about FLDS. I really do. I really do. Because I'm wholeheartedly... Bro, if they could give me an AK and I'll run up in that bitch myself like Rambo and I will fuck them all up. Bro, you send me with, with, a, with a pack of cigarettes? Only... Hey, I don't smoke cigarettes, okay? Let me... This would be a special occasion, you know? Only cigarettes and cigars for special occasions, bro. Bro, this is when I would be like fucking... You know that episode... You know that movie... Um, Tropic Thunder, we all know that movie. Robert Downey Jr. plays a black guy. Like, what? Total blackface, but it's just... It's crazy. It's a great movie. So fucking funny. And you know the part where he says, Don't go full retard. He's like, you never go full fucking retard. Bro, I'd be going full fucking retard in that bitch. I don't give a fuck. I would be Rambo. All up in that bitch, bro. I would. I totally would. Fuck them bitches. Fuck them all. They can suck these nuts and lick my asshole. I don't care, bro. I would get pleasure off of fucking them up. I'm just saying I would. Is this a threat? No. No. Okay. I'm just emotional right now after what I saw. I'm just saying. But... Hey, let's 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 get back to the Sarder family, okay? Sorry, let's get back to the Sarder family. So, this story takes place in the '40s, okay? So, like last episode with H. H. Holmes on Sunday, I know because it was so long ago that some of the information is lost. Same situation with this story; it kind of tends to happen with older stories, okay? So. Just want to put that out there. There are some holes within this story. I tried my best to find the answers and plug these holes, but I couldn't. Okay? So, just just letting you know. George Sauter was born Giorgio Sadu in Tula, Sardina in 1895. And he had immigrated to the U.S. George Sauter is the dad. And he had immigrated to the U.S. when he was just 13. George had arrived at Ellis Island with his older brother only to be abandoned by his older brother because he decided to return back to Italy shortly after they arrived here in the United States of America. After the abandonment of you know his older brother leaving... George quickly found work at the Pennsylvania Railroad System, carrying water and supplies to the railroad workers. And after he did that for a few years, George would move to Smithers. Smithers! You know that meme where... where what, what the fuck is that guy? What the fuck is that guy's name? From The Simpsons. Huge meme. Like, bro... It's the funny it's the funniest fucking meme ever, I think personally, next to the whole fucking Jeffrey Epstein and what's his nuts? The dude in the wheelchair. Oh fuck, I forgot his name. Oh, the scientist. What is his fucking name? I don't fucking know. He's irrelevant now cuz dead, obviously. But you know who I'm talking about. Those two memes, those are prime time, right? I'm still posting those fucking Jeffrey Epstein and Oh, what's his name? 
Why am I drawing a blank? I don't fucking know, because it is a big name, and you think I would remember it, but you get what I mean. Bro, those memes, best fucking memes that have ever ruined the internet. But George moved to Smithers, West Virginia, where he would first work as a construction driver, and then after doing that for a little while, he would eventually open up his own construction company, where he and his associates would just deliver dirt, freight, and coal to certain job sites within his surrounding area. George would also meet his first, well not his first, his only wife, his future wife, Jenny, I think it's Caprini, I could be wrong, but I think it's Caprini. It sounds dope if you say it like Caprini, so that's what we're rolling with, in the town of Smithers, and after he would well, let me rewind. They met in their town, Smithers, West Virginia. And they met at a local store called The Music Box. Now, Jenny's dad was the owner. So, she, obviously, daughter of said owner. And she and her family immigrated to the U.S. from Italy when she was three. After George and Jenny became friends, they eventually dated, and that boyfriend-girlfriend status soon turned to marriage. Now, between 1923 and 1943, Jenny and George had 10 children. What the fuck? Why? Why would you want 10 kids? I don't understand that. I have no fuck. I would not want 10 kids. I understand that's like what a lot of people did back then. Holy shit. That is a lot of fucking kids. Not me, chief. I apologize, but not fucking me. I would rather stick my dick in a blender. I'm sorry, I would, okay? It's a graphic site. I know you just pictured it in your head, okay? Trust me. Because I did the same thing after I said it, alright? Fuck no. Fuck no. And after they, you know, while they were having these 10 children, they decided to settle down in Fayetteville, West Virginia, which was an Appalachian town with a small but very active Italian community. One local law official would say about the Sauter family that they're one of the most respected middle class families around. Now, Georgia was a very, very very outspoken human being and it'll come up a couple times throughout this story but he was not afraid to basically share his very very strong opinions on business current events and politics did you hear that i said politics he was like the whole Donald Trump and Joe Biden thing. This dude was like it was in today's society, right? Which is fucking stupid. Oh, my pop filter fell down. Hold on. Let me get it fixed up. Are we good now? Okay, I think we're good. Now, some people also speculate that George had a very troubled childhood because whenever he was asked about, you know, growing up, he didn't really say anything about it. 
right? He would deflect the conversation into a new direction or just give very, very vague answers to any family, well, yeah, family friend that asked about him or wanted to get to know him, right? Now, the Sauter family tragedy was unsolved for decades, and it had a billboard up on Route 16 near Fayetteville, West Virginia for basically, I think it was like 40 years, almost a little over 40 years. And it just had the little grainy picture of the five children that allegedly perished. And I say allegedly because like, You'll see throughout the story that maybe they were alive, but maybe they did die in, this, in, in the fire. So I'm saying allegedly a lot throughout this to cover my basis so I don't give any misinformation. That's why I say allegedly a lot for the people that are curious why I say allegedly a lot. So I don't, I don't know officially what, what happened because it this case was unsolved and it's still unsolved. Now... On this billboard, this grainy billboard, it would have each of the five children's names that were missing. And the five children from this small, tiny Fayetteville town were 14-year-old Maurice Sauter, 12-year-old Martha Sauter, 9-year-old Louise Sauter, 8-year-old Jenny Sauter, and 5-year-old Betty Sauter. I think I made a typo because Martha is supposed to be Marion, I think. I think Martha's supposed to be Marion. I'm sorry, okay? I make mistakes. And now, no one truly knows what happened to these children. Some people believe that they were kidnapped, while others do believe that they actually did perish in the Sodders' house fire when it caught on fire. Now, as the story goes, on December 24th, George and his wife Jenny, along with nine out of their ten children, went to sleep. And while they were sleeping and just dreaming the most magnificent things that the brain can come up with while you're sleeping, a fire happened to break out within the home around one o'clock in the morning. George, Jenny, and four out of the nine children were able to escape unharmed. And as they stood there waiting for the five missing kids to come out, George grew more anxious as the minutes ticked by until he finally had enough and decided to run back into the house to see if he could save you know, his five kids that are trapped in there. And as George entered the house through a broken window, he could see he well, he couldn't see anything besides the smoke and the orange flames that had swept through all of the downstairs bedrooms. And as George stood there trying to get into this house and trying to see through the crackling flames, he noticed that the only entrance to the upstairs bedroom where he thought the five children were being held at or were trapped at was a staircase that was covered in flames. 
So he raced back outside, hoping to reach them through the upstairs window. He also knew that he had pre he he also knew that he had previously put a ladder and propped it up against the side of the house. And as he was running to where this ladder was allegedly supposed to be, it was missing. It was not there. It was disappearing as the Sauter family. Just kidding. That's a bad joke. I'm going to take that one back. So after he noticed that the ladder, couldn't think of the word, but the ladder was gone, he decided to grab one of his coal trucks and back it up to the house so he could access the upper level window. But unfortunately, as he got into his truck and put the key in the ignition and tried turning it over, the truck wouldn't even start. Even though it worked earlier that day. With time running out and the flames getting hotter and hotter, George ran to a rain barrel and tried to scoop water from it and to throw it on the fire to hopefully put it out. And as he ran to this rain barrel and he went to grab the shovel to dig out the water, it was completely frozen solid because this took place on Christmas well, yeah, Christmas, 1 o'clock on Christmas. So, in West Virginia, I've never lived there, so I would assume they get fucking snow, especially in an Appalachian town, right? You're up on the fucking mountains, it gets cold up there. So, I would assume that there was, you know, fucking snow on the ground, it was below freezing and shit like that. So, completely out of options and not knowing what else to do, Marion, George's daughter that escaped the fire, sorry, Martha, actually, yeah. There's so many M's in this fucking thing, even though it's Martha and Marion. Sorry, I fucked it up, okay? Um, where was I? Marion, Marion, George's daughter that escaped the fire, ran to the neighbor's house to call for the fire department. But unfortunately, they couldn't get an operator response. So the neighbor, thinking quick on their feet, decided to drive into town and track down... Fire Chief F.J. Morris. This guy's a fucking dick. I would have punched him in his face. All right, And you'll see why in a second. Once the neighbor found Morris and told him about the horrific situation that was unfolding right in front of them at the Sodders house, Morris decided to activate their fire alarm, which at the time was a phone tree. And a phone tree system is where one firefighter calls another, who calls another, who calls another, until they're all notified, basically. Now the, now, the fire department was only two minutes away from the Sodder's house, but the firefighters didn't arrive there until 8 in the morning on Christmas. And by that point, the Sodder's house was just a steaming pile of ash. After the police and the fire department had arrived, they started combing through the wreckage to find out how this fire could have started and if they could discover the remains of the five missing soldered children. Now, after a while of searching, a police inspector said faulty wiring caused the fire 
and Fire Chief Morris said that they couldn't find the bodies because the fire was burning so hot that it that it had cremated them. But this is where the story starts to get really, really interesting. And if you know about burning bodies, that's not the right way to say that. If you know about bones, like if you watch the True Crime Channel, you know that bones just don't fucking burn to ash, right? It's not how it works, okay? And it'll come up later in this story, but... I know after I said that, I knew exactly what you were thinking. And you were like, bones don't just burn from house fires. Trust me. I know. I just wanted to state that you're right and you are correct. Okay. As the next day started to roll around, George and Jenny started to piece together some really odd events that had taken place within a few months prior to this incident, this event. The first incident that occurred was that was on one day a man came to the Sauter's house in the previous fall to ask if George needed help hauling products to the construction sites. And as they were talking, they decided to walk around to the back of the house and as they reached, you know, the back side of the house the man that George was talking to cut him off cut him off saying while also pointing at two fuse boxes this is what he said get this it's trippy that's going to start a fire someday now George thought this was really strange because literally a couple days prior to this man showing up George had the local electric and power company out at his house to check the fuse boxes. And they said that the condition that these boxes were in was completely fine. The second incident that occurred happened around the same time that the first one occurred and George had another random man come to his house trying to sell him life insurance. And when George declined the offer... The other gentleman got really, really upset and threatened George by saying, your damn house is going up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed. You are going to pay for the dirty remarks you, you have been making about Mussolini. Right? Remember? Remember I said... I told you guys how strong his opinions were and that it would come up throughout the story. This is one of those situations. Allegedly, George would get into very heated exchanges amongst his fellow Italian citizens within Fayetteville. At the bar, he would go there and just... He just normal fucking shit, I guess. I don't get why, but like, bro, you're not in Italy. Why the fuck are you talking... Right? You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, bro, live your life. Why you gotta go out and upset upset people about, you know, political shit? Right? It doesn't fucking affect you. Especially when you're in a different fucking country. That's like me being from Canada and complaining about the Canadian Prime Minister? Whatever the fuck they got up there. Right? That's like me... Like, bro... 
I don't live in Canada. Why the fuck would I make remarks about the Canadian Prime Minister? I think it's a Prime Minister. That just doesn't make any fucking sense to me. If I'm being honest. But, yeah, that's what he would do. And allegedly, where where am I? Where am I? This is awkward. Okay, the third incident that took place was when the oldest solder son recalled a man that parked along U.S. Highway 21 and was intently watching the kids as they came home from school for Christmas break. Then, this gets even creepier, then on Christmas around 12.30 a.m., the family decided to open up, you know, a couple Christmas presents before going to bed. You know, they just, they just, kids couldn't handle it. They were so excited, right? So they let them open up a few presents. And as they finished opening up said presents, Jenny went upstairs and put the kids to bed. And as soon as she was done putting the kids to bed, she heard the telephone ringing down in the kitchen and she went to answer it. When she picked up the phone, a random lady that she didn't know was asking for a man that didn't live there. And allegedly from the resources that I was reading from, well, researching from, they said that the lady was like laughing and you could hear drinks clinking in the background and stuff like that, right? Sounds like a bar. I wonder what's going on here, hmm? Hmm, sounds a little shady, right? Sounds a little fucking shady. And Jenny basically told the lady on the phone that, you know, you had the wrong number and that person doesn't live here. So she hung up and went to bed. Now, as Jenny was about to fall asleep, just on the verge of slipping into that deep REM sleep, she heard a loud bang and then a rolling sound on the top of her roof. And thinking nothing of it, she just ignored it, fell asleep, and woke up an hour later to just the thick, juicy smoke clouds entering her room. It was Vape Nation in the house. Not really. I guess the fire was kind of vaping if you look. Okay, that's a bad joke. I take that one back to him. I apologize. Now, after the Sauter family ran through all of these weird interactions that have happened to them within the past few months, they also became extremely confused on how five children could perish within a house fire and leave no bones or, you know, flesh. Like, there was no remnants of these children. And they knew something was up. Something in their little brain was, you know... Telling them like, hey, this this doesn't seem right. So they ignored what the police and fire department chalked it up to. Faulty wiring. They didn't agree with it. So they went out and did their own investigation into this odd occurrence. And what they found was kind of horrific and suggested that foul play may have been involved. First, the family decided to burn animal bones to see if, you know, the bones would obviously burn to ash. And the bones that they selected were chicken bones, beef joints, and pork chop bones. And after every time they put the bones in the fire and let it sift for a little while, they found out that they didn't turn to ash. 
they were just a charred fucking bone. Like I said earlier, like you knew earlier, like how we read each other's minds, right? They're like, yeah, that's yeah. Fucking dumbass police department and fire department. What the fuck are you doing? Right? Why'd you lie to me? Okay. But the family did know that, um, they, they wanted to get a second opinion. Okay. They did want to get in a second opinion on if bones could really truly burn to ash, especially since the fire wasn't hot enough because most of their household appliances were still like recognizable after the fucking, what is it? The fire, the fucking fire. Okay. So they went to the local crematorium in town and asked one of its employees how hot a fire would have to be to turn human bones or any skeletal remains into ash. And the employee told the Sauter family that the bones remain... Let me back it up. Okay, he he didn't tell them how hot it was. He basically gave them a general like... Bones are still bones. Like, even if they're burned at 2,000 degrees for two hours. Sorry, that was a really bad explanation. Let me rewind that. The dude told them, or girl, don't know who it was. They didn't specify. Basically said, if you burned a bone at 2,000 degrees for two hours, it would still remain a bone. You could still see a bone. So... That's what I was trying to say. And obviously the fire wasn't hot enough to burn bone if metal appliances were still able to be recognized after the fire. So. Wait, I lost my spot. Sorry, long pause. Oh, this is awkward. Okay, so. And the fire that burned down the Sauter's house wasn't burning for two hours. It's actually burning for 45 minutes. I'm all over the place with this episode, and I, I do apologize, okay? So after that experiment, the Sauter family then decided to call out a telephone repairman to see what has, like, what caused the issue. Was it faulty wiring and, like, how the police report said it? Or was, you know, something truly afoot, Okay. Now, the repairman told the Sauter family that, uh, upon further examination, that the wires within the electrical panel on the back side of the house had been cut, not burned. And that's when Jenny decided, don't know why, but this, this specific incident jogged her memory, and she told George that right before the fire had started, their daughter had been sleeping on the couch with the living room light on and the front door was unlocked. Right after she got off the phone, she noticed this. Then the repairman told them both that if it was an electrical fire due to faulty wiring, that light would have not would not would not have been on. I don't know why I said that weird. Power would have been out in the entire house is basically what the dude said. Then the next thing that they found during their investigation came a few days later when the family was visiting their burned down house. And as the family was walking around the property and sifting through the rubble, Sylvia Sauter found a hard rubber object in their yard. She called for her mom and dad and when they came over, they, well, 
mainly George ended up examining the piece of hard rubber and he concluded that it was basically shrapnel, shrapnel, shrapnel from a napalm bomb called a pineapple bomb, which was actually used in World War II, according to my source, sis, sources, and George, because I guess that's what George, that's what George said. And Jenny then suggested that's what made the loud thud and the rolling sound that Jenny had heard as she was falling asleep. And as their investigation was continuing, witnesses started coming forth with more information to add to this wild and tragic story. One witness said that he saw a man with a black, block, not black, block and tackle leaving the scene of the fire. And for the people that don't know what a block and tackle is, like me, it was it's basically a system of pulleys and ropes that are used to move really heavy objects. And in this case, the witness claimed... Sorry, I heard a weird buzzing sound coming from my microphone, so it scared me for a second. The witness basically was hinting at that um, the dude was tampering with George's trucks, possibly allowing them not to start. Now, is this true? I don't know. I'm just relaying the information that was interpreted by, you know, researchers of this case. Another witness who was also at the scene of the fire claims that she saw the children peering out from a passing car while the fire was in progress. A woman who worked at a tourist stop sorry a woman who worked at a tourist stop between Fayetteville and Charleston, roughly fifty miles away from where the fire took place, claims she saw the children the morning after the fire and she would tell police that she served them breakfast, and that there was a car with a Florida license plate at the tourist court too. And finally, a woman who worked at a Charleston hotel claims she saw the children five weeks after the fire, and in her statement, she said, the children were accompanied by two women and two men of Italian descent. I don't I do not remember the exact date. However, the entire party did register at the hotel and stayed in a large room with several beds. They registered around midnight. I tried to talk to the children in a friendly manner, but the men appeared hostile and refused to allow me to talk to these children. One of the men looked at me in a hostile manner. Turn around and began talking rapidly in Italian. Immediately, the whole party stopped talking to me. I sensed that I was being frozen out, and so I, so I, so I said nothing more. They left early the next morning. And that was it. George and Jenny's efforts led them to a cold, dark, and dead end, and with nowhere else to turn, they decided to send a letter 
asking if the FBI could help them out with trying to find their missing kids. And they ended up getting a reply in 1947, two years, two years after the family's tragedy had occurred. George and Jenny got a letter from President J. Edgar Hoover saying, Although I would like to be of service, the matter related appears to be of a local character and does not come within the investigative jurisdiction of this bureau. However, Hoover did end up saying that his agents would assist if they could get permission from the local authorities. But unfortunately, the Fayetteville Police Department and Fire Department declined their offer. After that lead turned into a dead end, the Sodders decided to hire private investigator C.C. Tinsley. And this man, this man went all in. He found some crazy shit. He had discovered how shady this fucking town turned out to be. Tinsley discovered that the insurance salesman that threatened George was actually a member of the coroner's jury who deemed the fire as an accident. Tinsley then heard a rumor from a Fayetteville minister about Fire Chief F.J. Morris. Tinsley was told that Morris supposedly told this minister that he discovered a heart in the ashes and even though he claimed there were no remains found at the fire, he decided to put this heart in a dynamite box and buried it on the property. So, armed with this new information, gangster private investigator C.C. Tinsley went and confronted Morris on this story to find out information. And after a little bit of, you know, quote-unquote persuasive talking, Morris took Tinsley to the spot where he buried this heart, this alleged heart. And they dug up the area where Morris said he put it. And not long after digging, Tinsley did find the fucking box. And after he opened it, well, after he found it, he opened it and took it straight to the funeral director and basically, after the funeral director ran some tests and did some probing of this alleged heart, turned out that it was actually beef liver that happened to be untouched by the fire, which is unfortunate, but the investigation doesn't stop there. It keeps rolling. It keeps going. Soon after Tinsley discovered this box, and since this is somewhat of a small town, People started to talk. And if you live in a small town, you know how quick rumors can spread. I grew, lived in a small town for 14 years of my life. It is not fun. There's nothing to fucking do. Okay? And shit spreads fast. It spreads incredibly fucking fast. If you did something on the weekend, like, let's say you went out and spray-painted the side of um, the subway in town. I don't know why I said subway, but subway's, subway's good, but they're a little fucking shady, too. 
You go and you spray paint the side of a subway, right? You did that Sunday night. By 7 o'clock, when you arrive at school, 7 o'clock, it's already processed around the entire fucking school on what you did. Everybody fucking finds out. Everybody. Even when you don't want them to find out, they fucking find out. Someone weasels their little ass in there. Okay, and that's what happened here. The Sauter family ended up hearing a rumor that Morris, the fire chief, told other residents that the contents in this dynamite box had not been in the fire at all and that he intentionally buried the beef liver in the rubble in hopes that if the Sauter fa- sorry, choked on my spit. The Sauter family would find it it would halt them and stop them from continuing their investigation. You think it stops there? It doesn't. It keeps going. This investigation is fucking going. It's taken off now, okay? Now, over the next few years, more tips and leads came through. At one point, and this is really, really fucking creepy, like pedophile level creepy, George saw a newspaper photo of the schoolgirls, well, not girls, children, in New York City, and one of the schoolgirls in this photo looked like his daughter, Betty. So, what did George do? What the fuck do you think he did, people? I don't even have to say it, because you already went there. He drove his ass all the way from Fayetteville, West Virginia, to New York City, to fucking stalk and find this little girl. And guess what he fucking did? He found her. <laughs> he found her. And this, this, this is funny. Because any normal parent would fucking do this. I would fucking do this if a random dude showed up at my damn doorstep. Like, bro, what the fuck, okay? So George tried confronting her parents in an effort to get to talk to her. And just like any normal protective parent, they said, get the fuck away. They didn't even want to fucking speak to him. And... This dude was just knocking on their door, harassing the fuck out of them. I understand you lost your fucking kids, okay? But, bro, don't go stalking random fucking people. It's fucking weird, right? Then, after George's weird and creepy stalking incident, the Sodders decided to start another investigation in August of 1949 by bringing in Washington, D.C., pathologist Oscar B. Hunter to dig up, you know, the rubble and other shit on the property just to see what he could find. And when Oscar was doing his excavation, he was able to uncover several small objects. But out of all of these small objects that he found, one item, one item would lead the investigation into a new direction. This one item was several shards of human vertebrae. And once Oscar had collected and found these vertebrae shards, he sent them to the Smithsonian Institute to be studied and to be tested to see if the vertebrae were either human or animal. And after the Smithsonian did their tests, the... They told Oscar that the human bones consisted of four lumbar vertebrae, 
belonging to one individual. Since the transverse recesses are fused, the age of this individual at death should have been 16 or 17 years old. The top limit of age should be 22 since the centra, which normally fuses at 23, are still unfused. On this basis, the bones show greater skeletal maturation. M m m what? Maturation? Maturation? Is that really how you fucking say that word? That's a weird fucking word. I don't like that word. Then one would expect for a 14-year-old boy, which is the oldest solder child. It is, however, possible, although not probable, for a boy that's 14 and a half years old to show 16 to 17 year old maturation. The report also stated that the vertebrae showed evidence of being exposed to the fire that had burned down the Sauter's house. After the report was filed, it ended up prompting two hearings at the Capitol in Charleston with Governor O.K.L. Patterson and State Police Superintendent W.E. Burchett, in which they basically told the Sodders that their search was hopeless and declared the case closed. But Jenny and George didn't want to give up. They knew their children were still out there, allegedly still out there. So after two hearings, so well after the two hearings, George and Jenny decided to buy a billboard along Route 16 and started posting flyers with a, a reward of started out at $5,000, then they increased it to $10,000 in hopes of just getting any information on where their kids are and if they could even get them to return home. One lady from St. Louis wrote a letter to the Sodders saying that their eldest daughter Martha was living in a coven within St. Louis. Another witness from Texas called the Sodders and told them that a patron at a bar overheard someone saying some pretty incriminating evidence about their tragedy. I tried looking it up, couldn't fucking find it. I don't know what was said, so that's one of the loopholes among many that are within this story. A person in Florida said that their missing kids are staying with a distant relative of Jenny. And in 1968, the Sodders received a picture in the mail from an address in Kentucky. And it had no return address. But it was the photo of a man in his mid-20s. And on the back of this photo, there was a very cryptic message that was written on it. It said... Luis Sauter, I love brother Frankie, ill, Ill little boys, A90132 or 35. I don't know what the fuck that means, okay? Nobody really explained it from what I was researching. I couldn't find an explanation for what it fucking meant, but yeah. Now, according to Jenny and George, it, it looked like their son Luis, who was nine at the time of the fire, and after they received the photo, they hired another private investigator to go see if they could find out any information on who this boy is. And when this investigator went to Kentucky, the Sodders ended up never hearing from him again. 
I don't know if he got into some shit and they got killed him or if he was just, you know, swindling the Sarder family. I don't know. But all of the incidents, like the St. Louis incident, the Texas incident, and the Florida incident, George and Jenny went and investigated all of them, but they all came up inconclusive and were just a waste of time for just them to even go out there. Now, the Sodders then attempted to publish this letter, this photo, and the name of the town that it came from, but they quickly changed their minds because they feared that if they went to the news or with any media outlet that was available back then and made it public that those people would allegedly hurt their quote-unquote son. They insisted, they well not insisted, they instead opted to do an interview where George would say, time is running out for us, but we only want to know if they did die in that fire. We want to be convinced. Otherwise, we want to know what happened to them. And George was right. Time was running out. And time did eventually run out because later that year, in 1968, 23 years after their house was burned down, George ended up passing away. It didn't say from what, so I'm just going to say natural causes, okay? Leaving his wife to continue the search until her death in 1989 and in that 20-year gap, she couldn't find any more leads to point her in the direction of her missing children. After she had passed on, the billboard that they paid for was taken down. Her surviving children and grandchildren continued the investigation in honor of their parents, but they also couldn't find anything. So they came up with a theory on what happened to the missing solder kids and their theory is that the local mafia had tried to recruit George and when he declined they tried extorting him for money and when George refused to give them and when George refused to give them money the children were kidnapped by someone they knew remember how i said earlier that the front door was unlocked well, this alleged person that they knew, knew that the front door was, you know, unlocked. It was open. So after the fire started, said person burst through the unlocked door and told the children to come with them so that they can all get out of there safely. They also suggested that... Why are you fucking buzzing? Sorry, audio's going weird. Fucking weird. I don't know what's going on with my audio. I hear like a buzzing in my fucking headphones and it's pissing me off. Okay, so where was I? So after the fire was started, said person burst through the unlocked door and told the children to come with them so that they can get out of there safely. They also suggested that if the children truly did survive and if the photo was truly their son, Louis... They didn't contact any of the family members 
because they wanted to protect them. Now, is this story true? Well, obviously it's true. But what I mean is like, did the children actually go missing? Were they actually kidnapped? Or is this just, you know, kind of a really tragic situation that really put this family, you know, in a vulnerable and sad position and they just couldn't come to terms with the idea that five of their children did actually die from a house fire. I have no clue. I really don't, okay? Um, Because I wasn't there and every... There's always two sides to one story. And a lot of these research media outlets, I'm trying to think. A lot of these resources that, I mean... You guys have probably done it when you guys were in school or if you're in school still and you research a topic and you have to look through six different topic or like six different websites and most of them generally say the same thing but like some other shit is like one article said and the other one didn't but another article said something else and the other three didn't. So I truly don't know. Maybe there were bones at the fucking... What is it? The fucking... Uh, well, there was bones there, but... I don't know. I'm really... I just really don't know. I haven't really wrapped my head around this case. I personally think that they did pass away in that fire. Not only was there several shards of vertebrae in it, but to me, it doesn't make sense to kidnap some someone's kids like why would you kidnap only five of the kids why wouldn't you kidnap all of the kids why wouldn't you just kidnap one kid you know what i mean doesn't make sense right so i truly do believe that they did pass away in the fire but that's gonna do it for this episode hope you guys are having a good day Right, I'm going to let you guys get back to work. Okay, the Weekend's almost here. We're halfway through the week. So we're going to be able to shop and do whatever the fuck we want this weekend. It's going to be fun. Right, It's going to be fun. So, remember, stay frosty, stay foxy, stay safe, and most importantly, the most important thing on this planet, fuck FLDS. I love y'all. Deuces.